I would ask you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning again to Psalm 130. Psalm 130. I want to begin by, by reading this psalm. We've looked at this psalm twice before. We looked at verses 1 and 2. Then we looked at verses 3 and 4. God helping us, we'll finish looking at this psalm today. We're going to look at verses 5 and 6 this morning. And then, Lord willing, this evening we'll look at verses 7 and 8. But let's begin by reading uh, this psalm. A psalm of a sense. Out of the depths I have cried to thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness. And with him is abundant redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Our topic this morning is waiting on the Lord. Immediately we have a problem. We are Americans. We don't wait. And so we're challenged right from the beginning when we say our topic is waiting for the Lord. Waiting is something we don't want to do. Something is, is something that we don't like. Waiting is something that we avoid if we can. It, it annoys us. If we have to wait too long, it often makes us angry. One of the most difficult things in life is to wait. To just wait. Children don't like to wait. Teenagers don't like to wait. Parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, none of us want to wait. And especially if there's something that we really want. Time goes so slow. In fact, we often say, I can't wait. We say, I can't wait for my vacation. I can't wait for Christmas. Now, I hope you said this morning, I can't wait to go to church. But we often say that, I can't wait. And what we mean when we say I can't wait is, I can't wait well. I can't wait patiently. I can't wait happily. I don't want to have to wait. Now our text this morning, found in verses 5 and 6, is this. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in His word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. I want us to consider this topic this morning under just two questions. What does it mean to wait for the Lord? And then, why does God make us wait? What does it mean to wait for the Lord? And why does God make us wait? What does it mean to wait upon the Lord? The first phrase in our text is, I wait for the Lord. It's a common term in the Psalms and in the Old Testament prophets. What does it mean to wait for the Lord? Well, the first observation about waiting is that all things, all creatures, all people wait on the Lord. Whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you acknowledge it or you deny it, you and I and every person waits for the Lord. Turn with me to Psalm 104 for just a moment. Psalm 104. 
In verses 10 and 11, we read this. He, God, sends forth springs in the valleys. They flow between the mountains. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. And they do that because it is God that sends provision for that. Verse 14, He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the labor of man so that he may bring forth food from the earth. God is providing for the physical needs of both creatures and man. Then in verses 27 through 30, we read this. They all wait for thee to give them food in due season. Thou, thou dost give to them, they gather it up. Thou dost open thy hand, they are satisfied with good. That thou dost hide thy, thy face, they are dismayed. Thou dost take away thy spirit, they expire and return to their dust. Thou dost send forth thy spirit, they are created, and thou dost renew the face of the ground. And here we see that all of creation, all creatures, all the animals, the fish, the birds, everything in the world, and all people, life, breath, food and drink, they all come from God's hands. All created things are utterly dependent on God. All things wait for Him. Psalm 145, verses 15 and 16 says, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. So the first idea behind the words, I wait for the Lord, is that we do this because we are completely dependent on God for all things. When He gives, we are blessed. When He withholds, there's only one thing we can do. We wait for Him. But this general waiting on the Lord is not what the psalmist has in mind in our text. Note the next words in verse 5. My soul does wait. This is not the waiting of all creatures for God to sustain and provide for their physical life. The psalmist has spiritual things in view. It is his soul that is waiting for God. This is waiting that has to do with spiritual things. This is waiting that only Christians do. This is not physical waiting or taking up a passive life. This is spiritual waiting. The soul is waiting. There might be much busyness much outward activity, and at the same time, we can have this inward state of waiting, waiting, waiting. We may be getting on with our life, doing our daily duties, taking care of everyday responsibilities, but in the, in the midst of all that activity, our soul is waiting on the Lord. In Genesis 49, 18, Jacob says, For your salvation I wait, O Lord. I think that's what the psalmist here in Psalm 130 is talking about. David says in Psalm 25, verse 5, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Psalm 62, 1, David says, My soul waits in silence for God only. From Him is my salvation. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 25, verse 9 says, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that He might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. Jeremiah the prophet in Lamentations 3.26 It is good that He waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. The prophet Micah says, But as for me, 
I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. This is the waiting that is in view, the soul waiting for the Lord's salvation and deliverance from the Lord. Now we know that this is the kind of waiting that is in view in this psalm also because of the focus of this entire psalm. In verse 1, the psalmist is in a deep place because of his sin. In verse 3, he says, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? In verse 4, he is talking about the forgiveness of sins. And in verses 7 and 8, he is talking about mercy and redemption. Now, we don't know who the writer of this psalm is. Some think that it was David. We just don't know for sure. But we do know some things about the psalmist. We know his soul is in great distress. He is in the depths and he is crying out. But he is not in despair because he believes that there is forgiveness with God. We know that he is a believing sinner, a saved sinner, a forgiven sinner. And he is by faith waiting for the Lord and his soul waits for God. In verse In verse 4, we're told that there is forgiveness with the Lord and that the Lord forgives sinners with a purpose in view. The language at the end of verse 4 is that you may be feared. God, by His grace and mercy, brings us to faith and salvation so that by the new birth we will be transformed from people who do not fear God. Romans 3.18, there's no fear of God before their eyes. Into people who do fear the Lord and love Him, and serve Him. People who by grace have been made to walk in the fear of the Lord, verse 4, are people who also live a life of waiting for the Lord, verse 5. They trust God. They know that salvation belongs to the Lord. They wait for Him. Because when it comes to sin and salvation, as well as all the lesser things that are going on in our lives, help can only come from the Lord. And just as creatures depend and wait on God to provide all of their needs, every believer depends and waits on God to to meet all the needs of life. All believers wait on the Lord. We learn something else about waiting on the Lord in the last phrase of verse 5. And in His Word do I hope. He is saying that it is the Word of God that will bring me out of the depths. It is His word of promise that will reach down to where I am and pull me up. It is God's word that will speak pardon to me. And in that word, there is a message of deliverance from the depths. The writer is absolutely confident that what he needs is not to feel better about himself. He does not need to be distracted by other things and thus get his mind off of his spiritual problems. He doesn't need the power of positive thinking. What he needs in the depth is not self-help or a positive attitude. What he needs to bring him out of the deep place is the Word of God. He needs God to actually come to him in his Word, to bring him the pardon and the mercy and the grace that he is waiting for. And in his Word do I hope, the psalmist says. Now God is not a cosmic vending machine. We don't just pray a little prayer and immediately we get what we want. There are times when God says, wait. There are times when God says, not right now. 
Now, it's tempting when we're waiting for a long time to give up on the means of grace, to stop listening to God's Word, to stop listening to sermons, to stop reading our Bible. We can think it's pointless. I've prayed and I've listened and I've read and nothing happens. I'm just going to give up. What's the point? Well, if we give up on the means of grace, then we're cutting ourselves off from the real place of hope. In his word do I hope, the psalmist says. What hope of anything is there if we shut ourselves off from the word of God and walk away? There is nothing that pleases God more than to see his children resting in his promises, waiting with trust in his word. No matter what depths we are in, we can always turn to God's word, and it's through his word that God does come. Verse 6, verse six tells us more about what it means to wait on the Lord. Verse 6 says, My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. The psalmist here is telling us that he waits with urgency and with confidence. Now this is a picture that should grip us and draw our attention and make us feel what, it, what it's like to wait for the Lord in a right way. The watchman was more, likely, more than likely up on the wall of the city during all the long night hours, trying to be alert, trying to keep a watch for the approach of any trouble. It was a work that was probably one of two things. In times of tension and real danger, it was frightening. The watchman was exposed to danger, to sudden attack. In fear, he is longing to see the first glimpse of the morning light, signaling that his time of danger and exposure is almost over. He's longing for it. At other times, when there's no expectation of trouble, the night watch is probably the most boring thing in the whole world. How long will it last? When will the morning come? Is it almost over yet? And he watches the eastern sky, anxious for that first faint glow to tell him that the night is almost over. Have you ever been awake in the night? You look over at your clock. It says 3.15. You wait a long time. You look at your clock again. 3.18. You try to get real still and you think about, try to clear your mind and go to sleep and you wait a long, long time, and you look at the clock again, 325. It seems like it will never pass. The morning will never come, but it does come. It always comes. And the psalmist says, I wait for the Lord, and I am more urgent about God coming to me and God helping me and the word of God speaking to me than the watchman who waits eagerly and restlessly for the morning to come. I wait more than that. Night may seem endless, but the morning is certain and its time is determined. The night can pass so slow that it is agonizing, but morning always comes. It may seem like endless waiting. It may seem like God is far, far away. But mark his words, the dawn will come. What is the psalmist waiting for? He is waiting for God to come and visit him just like the dawn comes in the morning and for God to bring him out of the depths and bless him and save him and give him what his soul needs. He's waiting for Jehovah, the covenant-keeping God. He's waiting for Adonai, the powerful and sovereign ruler of all things, to assure him that you are mine. 
Your sins are forgiven, and I care about all the difficulties uh, that you have in your life. The picture has this main point. It may seem like it's a long time coming, but it will come. We don't know how much longer it will be, but God knows. The time of His coming is fixed, and it's already determined by Him. He will come exactly as as He has planned, and exactly at the right time. We are called to wait in faith and expectation. Martin Luther said this, Now there are some that want to set the goal and appoint the hour and prescribe to God exactly how they want to be helped. And if they do not experience this, they despair. And if possible, they seek help elsewhere. These do not tarry and wait for the Lord. God is supposed to wait for them. Be ready at once and help them exactly as they themselves have designed. But those who wait for the Lord ask for mercy and leave it to God's gracious will when, how, where, and by what means he shall help them. So the psalmist tells us that I wait for the Lord, but I know that the dawn is coming. Just like one of those watchmen of old knew that it certainly would come. We can wait. We can wait without expectation. We can wait because we have no choice but to wait. But the psalmist tells us don't wait like that. His waiting is tense and anxious and expectant waiting. There's hope in it. He knows that God is good and God is gracious. And I am waiting in His Word and He will come to me and He will deliver me. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? It's to depend on Him, to look to Him, to cry out to Him, to seek Him in His Word and the means of grace that He's provided. It's to wait in confidence and in expectation, knowing full well that God will meet all of my needs. Now let me ask you the question, why does God make us wait? God could give us anything and everything that we're waiting for in an instant. In the blink of an eye, He could bring salvation. Or He could give us assurance just like that. He could convert all of our family in a moment. He could remove our diseases. He could relieve our depression. He could take away family difficulty and disappointment. He could reconcile people who have a relationship that is totally destroyed. He could repair marriages. He could sort out all the problems of our children's lives. He could send revival into this church and into this community and into this nation. He could do it all. Why doesn't he? Why does God make us wait? Well, I think there are a number of reasons why he does. Let's quickly consider a few of them. He, he makes us wait, first of all, to teach us that he is God and he is sovereign. He is God on the throne. He decides who and where and when and how things will be. He orders everything and we don't. And this is a hard lesson for us to learn. We are naturally sovereign in our world until God shows us different. We want to be in control. And most of the time, we think that we are in control. Let me ask you, how many days do you live your life as if you can do it all by yourself? No thought of God or only a little passing thought of God. But then when God makes us wait, 
when suddenly there are things in our life that, that, and that we realize we can't fix it. There are things that are beyond our control, beyond our power to do anything about, beyond our ability to solve or to make right. And God is saying to us, you are not on the throne. I am. You're not in control. I am. God wants you to know your dependence on Him, to wait in His Word, to wait with urgency for Him to act on your behalf. It may be that we are waiting because God wants to teach us to be humble and to trust only in Him. Another reason that God often makes us wait is to give us something better. It is almost always true that there is something better than what we want and what we know and what we ask for. Now let me ask you mothers of small children a question. Would the life and well-being of your children be better if you never made them wait, you never told them no, you always immediately gave them everything that they asked for? Would their life be better? Would you ever do that? Well, why do we think that it would not be as true of our Father in heaven as well. He knows best. He knows what we need. Certainly He knows what is good for us and He knows what's best for us. Can there be something better than salvation right now? There is actually. There is salvation in the way that will give us the most lasting benefit. God does not save everyone in exactly the same way. In fact, none of us are saved in exactly the same way. He tailors salvation. The experience of it. The process of it. The moment of it. The circumstances of it. He tailors that to each one of His people. And He does it so that He, not you, will receive the glory, but also that so the most good will come into your life. He knows what is best for you. What about assurance? Can anything be better than, I, than for me to be assured right now? Well, there is actually. Instant assurance might lead to self-assurance and self-confidence and independence from God and arrogance. God may need to teach us things as He brings us to real assurance. There may be something better than having assurance given to us immediately by God right now. What about affliction and sickness? Spurgeon once said that health is the greatest blessing that God can give us with the exception of sickness. It's the greatest thing God can ever give us with the exception of sickness. Now, he was a man who knew both physical and mental affliction. He suffered with agonizing gout year after year. And each year he would wrestle for months with paralyzing depression. He spent much time in the depths, much time waiting for the Lord. And yet this man became known as the Prince of Preachers. He was the greatest force for the gospel in his entire generation. There may be something better for us than for God to immediately give us good health. Now, dear ones, we don't know the whole picture. We don't know all that the future holds. We don't know all the consequences and the interactions and the effects that the things we want will have. But God knows all those things. Have you ever prayed for something and God did not give you what you want. 
And then God did something entirely different, something that you never thought of, something you never expected. And what God did to meet your need was so much better than what you had originally asked for, what you wanted God to do right now. But God gave you something better. Maybe there's a young lady or a young man that you wanted to marry, but it didn't work out. And your hopes were smashed and your heart was broken and you thought there's nothing better than this that could have happened. But God says, yes, there is something better. And here he is or here she is. And we know many people that have had that experience in their life. Another reason that God makes us wait is to test our sincerity, to test how really sincere we are in our waiting. How much do we, we really want what we say we want? You know what happen, often happens when things are too easy for us? We don't appreciate them. We don't give thanks for them. We, we don't recognize the giver of it. But when God makes us wait for months for years, maybe for decades, then our prayers are really tested and our desires are really examined to see, are they real? Are they sincere? Are they really from our heart? God sometimes makes us wait to teach us to pray. We see the psalmist in this psalm crying out to the Lord. He is not saying prayers. He is really praying in this psalm. And waiting teaches us to pray. Sometimes God, sometimes God has us wait to convict us of sin and to discipline us. Waiting prompts us to examine ourselves, to think seriously about serious things. Psalm 119.67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Psalm 119.71, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Is there something in my life that God is trying to bring to my attention by making me wait? Hebrews 12, 8 says, But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. The Lord will discipline us, and He usually disciplines us by stopping us and making us wait. Let me ask you, when in your life have you been the most conscious of sin? When uh, have you been... Uh, has God brought to your mind and caused you to reflect and think seriously about your own soul? Was it when your life was happy and easy and everything was good? If your experience is like mine and like I think is the case for most people, it is when we have trials and hardship, it's then that we're drawn to seek the Lord. It's then that though it may have nothing to do with our sin, and God just may have us waiting for something and going through a hard time, Yet it is in that, it is in those times that we tend to stop and think about God and reflect. It is often where we're waiting on God that He convicts us of sin and disciplines us. Sometimes God may have us wait to chastise us for our own delays. Have you ever waited and waited to do the things that you know you ought to do? Has God ever convicted to you that you ought to be more faithful in coming to church, to the Sunday school, and maybe the evening services, the Wednesday night services? Has God ever convicted you that you should spend more time, be more faithful, reading the Word of God, reading good books, making good use of all the means of grace? But you keep waiting and putting it off and, being, and, and not being faithful to those things. Is God waiting for you? Then why might it not be that God 
would make us wait for him. And these are just some of the many reasons that God would make us wait. I'm sure that there are many, many other reasons and reasons that we will never know. But think with me for just a moment before we close at some lessons we can learn from this question. Waiting on the Lord. First of all, to those of you who are Christians, we need so much to live in constant dependence on the Lord. We need to always be waiting on Him. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If we really believe that, then we'll be eager to live a life waiting on the Lord, depending on Him, looking to Him as the source of all things that we need. I think we can all agree that waiting can be a real test for our faith. 1 Peter 1.7 says, So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is telling us that it is a precious thing, a thing of great worth to have your faith tested and tried and proven to be real. How do you know that your faith is genuine if it's never been tried, if it's never been challenged? But when God makes us wait, and instead of abandoning your faith, you turn to Him more and depend on Him more and pray more and trust Him more and you believe in Him more, that gives you something that Peter says is more valuable than gold, a proven faith. Christian, what is your attitude towards the Word of God? Could you be fairly described as a person who hopes in the Word? How important important is the Word of God to you? Do you read your Bible? Do you read good Christian books? Do you take advantage of every opportunity to hear the Word of God? My soul does wait, and in His Word do I hope, the psalmist says. And especially when you're in a deep place, does that drive you to seek God in His Word? And let me remind you that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Word of God. He is the incarnate uh, Word. And when the psalmist says, in His Word do I hope, we can just as well say, in Christ do I hope. But where and how is Christ speaking to His people? He speaks to us through the Word of God. Dear ones, seek the Word of God whenever you can. Let me mention one last really important thing about waiting. We might think that we are faced with deep things in our life. Yes, I know that, I, that someday I'll be delivered. I know that at the last day I'll be saved. I know that when the new heavens and new earth comes, that, I will, that on that day I will be set free from all my hardships and trials. Someday Christ will come. The Scriptures certainly point us to that hope and that, to that expectation. But dear ones, I want to encourage you in your wait now. Please turn with me to just one verse, Psalm 27, 13. We certainly hope for those things and we hope to see that day when God makes everything in this world right. But what about today? Look with me at Psalm 27, 13, and I hope this will help you in whatever you're facing. The psalmist says here, 
I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In this land of the living, during the days of my life in this world, now, not just on the last day, not just in heaven, but the psalmist says, I would have despaired if I didn't believe. I wasn't confident that I am going to see the goodness of the Lord now in the days of my life. I can believe and expect to see the goodness of the Lord here in our life. What are you facing? What are you struggling with? Well, the Lord is not only what we look for in the distant future that someday we'll be delivered from all of our troubles. We should be looking to Him right now, every moment, every hour, because He does meet our needs. Now, before I close, just a word to you who are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Scriptures never, never tell an unbeliever to wait. If you're not a Christian, you have no business waiting. You need to make haste. The Word of God tells you to flee the wrath to come. We are never told to wait in unbelief. It is the Christian who waits and rests. We're never allowed to wait in unbelief. To do anything without faith is sin. Without faith, it's impossible to, believe, to please God. Even praying without being a believer is sin. Waiting without faith is sin. Maybe you're thinking that someday you'll take time to think about Christ, to consider your sin, to take church more seriously. There's a time for that later, but not now. Nowhere does the Scripture allow for any such thing. Never think that tomorrow it will be easier for me to believe. The Bible tells us that it gets harder and harder all the time to believe. Our hearts are hardened as we live in this world and as we sin. If you're not a Christian right now, the Bible has one word for you and only one word for you. Today if you hear His voice, the Scripture says, today do not harden your hearts. If the grace of God ever begins to open your eyes, you will flee to Christ. There will be no waiting. The last thing you will ever do is wait if you truly believe. The cry of the believing heart is, Give me Jesus or I die. Lord, save me now. I urge you, if you have never believed, that you would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ now. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't wait another moment. Go to Christ now. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. May God help every one of us to believe in Christ now and to take up a life of waiting for Him the God of our salvation. Amen. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, I do pray that by Your Spirit and by Your grace that You would help us to be a truly faithful people that is constantly looking to You, our God. Lord, we know everything comes from You, but we forget. We know how much we need You, but we forget. Lord, help us to wait for You in a righteous and pleasing way. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would not allow them to wait another moment. Draw them to yourself now and bring them to faith. 
We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.